I want to get back into the ten. I want to get back into these ten commandments because they're so important to us in understanding the kind of life that God wants us to live. I'm afraid uh, that so often we have bought into a lie, and I believe it's a lie from the devil that says that these Ten Commandments have nothing at all to do with us as Christians anymore, that we're saved by grace, and that we're, under, we're no longer uh, under um, any kind of moral law, moral guidance, if you will, and there could be nothing further from the truth. Uh, our lives, seen through um, the lens of truth, I'll put it this way, the, 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 uh, the reformers had a way of looking at salvation. They saw it in terms of three steps or three um, movements, salvation. We have to, first of all, they said, understand how guilty and condemned we are by our sinfulness, by our depravity. There's nothing good in us. We are all guilty. And there's nothing we can do about it. We are guilty and we deserve punishment and ultimately hell because of what we have done to ourselves and what we have done to one another. And it's not until you understand how guilty you are that you understand how amazing God's grace is. His grace is amazing that he would send his only begotten son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins that you and I have committed. He did nothing wrong. The innocent was slain for the guilty. His blood was shed so that ours could be spared. When you begin to understand how guilty we are, then and only then can you understand how amazing God's grace is. It's a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. But once you understand how guilty you are, and once you really understand how amazing His grace is, the only reasonable response that we can offer Him it's to live our lives filled with gratitude toward him and all that he's done. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Say those three words with me. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude. The worst thing we can do is to receive this offer of grace from God, this offer of salvation, this free gift that Christ purchased for us on the cross. The worst thing we can do is say, well, that's nice. Thank you very much, but I'm going back to my old lifestyle. Does that make sense? How ungrateful would we be by returning like a dog to its vomit, a pig back to its slop, going back to what we'd been saved from? And so if we can get in our minds that our salvation rests on us, understanding how deeply guilty we are, how amazing God's grace is, and that the only reasonable response we can offer to God is to live our lives in gratitude. Once we get those three things in line, I think, I think maybe a light switch will go on and we'll begin to live the kind of life that God has called us to. And that is a life that's fully surrendered to him, that holds nothing back, that says every area of my life is yours. You bought me and paid for me. I am yours. Do with me what you want. And I'm going to respond as, as, a, as an act of gratitude. You just, it doesn't matter. You owe me. Lock, stock, and barrel. So the only reasonable response I can offer to you is to say, thank you, Lord. Yes, whatever. I'm good. Does that make sense? And so what these Ten Commandments do for us is they give us some instructions on how to live a life filled with gratitude to the Lord. He tells us in these Ten Commandments what it looks like to live out a life of gratitude to Him so that we don't go back to what He has saved us from. Does that make sense? That's what these Ten Commandments are for. They're for a redeemed people like you and me. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if His blood has washed your sins away, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what the will of God is for your life, you can go right back to those Ten Commandments because they lay it out for you in black and white. This is how God wants us to live. It's our expression of worship to Him. It's our expression of gratitude to Him to live this way. And, and in, living his, in living this way, I can live the kind of life that honors God, that brings Him glory, that lets everyone else know who I belong to and who I serve. It's these Ten Commandments that lay it out for us in black and white. And that's why I want to, to focus on these, why we've been focusing on these. And we're now to commandment number nine. Commandment number nine says that we are to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Let's face it. You and I live in an age of cynicism and skepticism, don't we? We live in the age of hashtag fake news. Where truth is really hard to find 
and where truthful people seem to be more scarce than ever before. I mean, we don't trust our leaders, and we don't trust our institutions. We don't trust anybody or anything because we believe they've lied to us in the past, and if their lips are moving, they're lying to us now. Come on. Am I the only cynic or skeptic in the room? I was telling somebody the other day, I've had so many people make promises to me and break them that after a while, I understand they, they make good promises with all the right intentions. They really mean to follow through. But people just don't keep their word anymore. And I want to say like they used to, but that makes me sound like an old fogey. I'm not sure we were ever promise keepers in the, in the past. I, I think all of us have... Um, have become great promise breakers. We don't mean to, but we find it hard to keep our word to one another for whatever reason. And we don't trust anybody now because of it. We don't trust anybody, we don't trust anything because we believe that you've, they've lied to us in the past and they're probably lying to us now. They deceived us and they manipula manipulated us to serve their own agendas and we don't think we can trust them anymore to tell us the truth. Let me just say this. If <laughs> I've gotten, this is, this is how bad it is for me. And I'm just, I am by nature a, a cynic, okay? But when somebody walks up to me and says, Pastor Mark, you know I'd never lie to you, I know they've already lied to me. And they're about to lie to me now. <laughs> you know, just, but that's the reason why God gives us the ninth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16 says simply, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In a world where words are many and truth is cheap, if not impossible to find, God says we are to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. Why? Well, most of us already know what a lie can do to a marriage. We know what a lie can do to a family. We know what a lie can do to a church, to a business, to a community, to a culture. We know what lies can do. We've seen the destructive consequences. Many of us have lived out those destructive consequences in our own life. We know what a lie can do. A lie poisons relationships. A lie sears the conscience. A lie condemns the soul. A lie ruins a life. How many of you experienced firsthand the consequences of a lie? Whether you said it or somebody said it to you, you're living it out or have lived it out and it hurt. It hurt. It severed, it broke trust. It severed that relationship. Lies are destructive. Lies in any form, shape, or fashion are destructive. But on the other hand, truth is powerful. Truth is, is amazing. Truth can redeem. Truth can restore. Truth can reconcile. Truth is amazing. Truth repairs. Truth renews. Truth reinforces. Truth purifies, truth edifies, truth enlightens. Jesus said this, truth makes us free. How many of you want to live in freedom? It starts by speaking and living out the truth. Truth sets us free and truth keeps us free. So God wants us, his sons and daughters, to tell the truth. To tell the truth. It's one of the ten. What I want us to do right now is read through these ten uh, commandments together as I've kind of abbreviated them a little bit to make them easy. I want you to get these into your spirit, into your mind, into your heart. I want you to think about them, how they apply, how you can live them out. Here are all the ten in order. Let's say them together out loud. And God spoke all these words. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who spoke them? God. And God spoke all these words. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power. It's your truth that makes us free. It's your truth that sanctifies us, sets us apart for your glory. It's truth, Lord, that we want to walk in. It's truth that we want to practice. It's truth that we want to speak to one another. Help us, Jesus, today to understand the importance of truth. 
Not settling for anything less. Not settling for a pale imitation of truth. But Father, we want truth, your truth, to become part and parcel of who we are. I ask you, God, today, for those of us in this room that, that struggle with the truth, that still at times struggle with the old man that wants us to lie and to deceive and to manipulate, I pray in the name of Jesus you would convict us today of our sin, of our transgressions. Help us, Lord, to take responsibility for ourselves. And help us to see there's nothing to be afraid of. That we can come to you and you will cleanse us. And you will break these patterns in our life, these deceitful patterns. And you will help us live in the truth. Speak the truth. Practice the truth. You will make that possible because it's your spirit living in us that makes it so. I love you, Jesus. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that's willing to embrace this truth as you reveal it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, truth matters to God. Let, let's just let's pull no punches here. Truth matters to God. Here's just a quick survey. I picked out just a few verses, Bible verses, that speak to the matter of truth and truthfulness in the lives of God's people. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things He detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord among brothers. In the New Testament, they talk about truth and its practice among God's people. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore each of you, not just the preachers, not just the teachers, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. How many of you would readily admit, part of the old nature I had before Christ gave me this new nature is I used to be a liar. I couldn't help myself. Sometimes I found myself lying when I didn't even have to lie. It just came so naturally out of my mouth. And sometimes in the lying, I knew when I was telling the lie, it was getting me in deeper trouble. Come on. That's the old man. We're just supposed to put off that old practice of lying. No more. That, that's the old man. He died and was buried with Christ Jesus. Amen. Just like we, we illustrated that with the baptism last week. Revelation 21a. Excuse me. 21a. says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, ouch, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So obviously truth matters to God. Truth matters to God. And the message that we get from this ninth commandment is that we are to tell the truth. But despite knowing what God says about lying and despite knowing the awful consequences that come our way because we lie, people continue to lie anyway. Why do people, I've often wondered this, why do people who know better tell a lie instead of telling the truth? Like I said before, some of us, I've met people who, who just lie. It's, it's just like their nature. They can't help themselves. It just is the first, they could tell the truth and maybe help themselves, but instead they choose to lie. Why? What is it? What is it inside our hearts that causes us, motivates us to lie when telling the truth is the way to freedom? Truth is the way to restoration. Truth is the way to, well, let's talk about that for just a minute. I want to answer the question for you this way. I'm going to present to you five different kinds of lies and the motivation behind them. And I want you to take notes, if you will. Because I, I think if we understand what motivates us to lie, we'll be able to stop lying in its tracks. If we get to the root of it, maybe we can become better at telling the truth. And I, for one, want to become better at telling the truth. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And if there are lies coming out of our mouths, it's because there's something wrong inside our hearts. So we need to get the motivations, the reasons why we lie in order to end the lying. If we'll allow the Holy Spirit to help us identify why it is we lie, then maybe we'll turn to Jesus and let Him fix that broken part in our heart. Get it? 
So I'm going to tell you, share with you five different kinds of lies and the motivations behind them. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many people in this room struggle with lying still. Even though you've been given a new nature, even though you've become a new creation in Christ Jesus, you still find yourself lying at times, and even you don't even know why. I can't be the only one that does that at times. So, five kinds of lies. Let the Holy Spirit search your hearts as we go through them. The first kind of lie is the cruel lie. The cruel lie. Some people lie just to be malicious and hateful. They lie to to get revenge. They lie to get back at another person. A cruel lie is a, a lie that misrepresents who another person is. A cruel lie is a lie that slanders another person's reputation. It's a lie that's intended to cause pain. It's a lie that's intended to cause damage. It's a lie that's intended to ruin the reputation of another person. And that's what the religious leaders did to Jesus. They lied about him. They accused him of things he didn't do. They trumped up false charges and condemned him to die. A cruel lie is an intentional, hateful kind of lie that people tell to hurt somebody else. What's the motivation behind this kind of lie? Resentment. Bitterness. Anger. When one person resents another person out of their hurt or hatred or anger, it's easy to tell a cruel lie. It's easy to lash out at that person with a cruel lie just to get them back, to bring them down, to to make them hurt. But let me remind you what Proverbs 10.18 says. 10.18 says, liars secretly hoard hatred. Liars secretly hoard hatred. Hatred, fools, openly spread slander. Now more than likely, you've had this kind of lie told about you. It may have been an ex. It may have been a friend whose friendship went sour. It might have even been a parent. But how many of us are guilty of doing the same thing? You see, it's time for us to stop pointing fingers of blame at other people. We can only take care of what's going on inside our own hearts. Okay? We're not talking about anybody else now. This is about you and me. What's going on inside of our own hearts? The first kind of lie is a cruel lie. The second kind of lie is the cowardly lie. The cowardly lie. That's the kind of lie that people tell to escape consequences. It's the kind of lie that they tell to get out of trouble or avoid a problem. Lord, sitting in a courtroom, watching people stand in front of Judge Reeves, did I hear... People lie. Have you had anything to drink this morning, Mr. Smith? No, Your Honor. A cowardly lie is the kind of lie a kid tells when his hand is caught in the cookie jar. It's the kind of lie that Adam told God when he sinned. And what did Adam then do? Blamed it on Eve. Let's stop blaming other people for our lies. Let's take responsibility for ourselves. It's the kind of lie that people tell because they are people pleasers. This happens to be my own personal downfall. I want people to like me. So I find myself at times not telling them the truth or at least kind of shirking away from it rather than being direct with it. Come on, I'm being, this is me, okay? It's what's going on in my heart. I have learned, I'm getting better at, understanding they, if I love them, I will tell them the truth. I won't shy away from it, I'll tell them the truth if I truly love them. They may not like me now, but hopefully when they come to realize the truth for themselves, they'll appreciate what I did. Okay, it's not, anyway. I, this is the kind of lie I'm guilty of, the cowardly lie. People tell cowardly lies when they want to avoid punishment, when they want to protect themselves from pain, when they want to sidestep peer pressure. They tell a cowardly lie. What's the motivation behind a cowardly lie? Obviously, it's fear. They're afraid. They're afraid of consequences. They're afraid of punishment. They're afraid of pain. They're afraid of not being liked. They're afraid of rejection. 
But let me remind you that it's better, and the Word says this over and over again in all kinds of different ways. It's better to face the consequences now rather than later because consequences have a way of catching up to you. And as we are finding out almost daily on our TV news shows is one by one people are being exposed as being sexually immoral and we've been covering it up for years. We're finding out just how painful those consequences can be unless you are willing to face the truth. One lie has a way of leading to another lie. But confession, listen guys, confession, telling the truth, owning up to your sins and mistakes, owning up to the pain that you might suffer, leads to salvation and freedom. And that's exactly what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, if we lay it all out on the table and say, this is who I am, this is what I've done, then God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And you know what I've found? That people are pretty much the same way. Instead of covering up what I have done, afraid of what consequences I might face if instead I will face the one that I have offended, if I will face the one I have hurt and be honest with them, there's a much better, much better likelihood of reconciliation and restoration in that relationship. I'll just tell you straight out. If you're covering up your sin because you're afraid to confess the truth, it's going to catch up to you one day and it's better if you tell them than if they find out from somebody else. Because they're going to find out from somebody. Confess it so you can move on, get past it. Cowardly lie. Third kind of lie is this, the conceited lie. The conceited lie. People tell lies like this when they're trying to impress others. <laughs> People tell conceited lies when they're trying to build up their image or trying to cover up their low self-esteem. Then they'll tell conceited lies. They brag about who they are. They brag about what they've done. Boy, all kinds of people are coming to my mind right now, so I need to shut it down. Woo! I don't want to mention somebody's name by accident. Isn't it funny how we'll go to extreme measures to tell a lie to make somebody think more highly of us, and then they find out later we were just blowing smoke. And then they don't think highly of us anymore. They think we're kind of stupid, dumb, idiots. You know? People tell conceited lies when they exaggerate their achievements and they magnify their accomplishments in order to bring attention to themselves. We've never heard that in recovery groups at all. None of that, none of that goes on in recovery groups, does it? I mean, you know, for, don't, Sean, when they're sitting in that group, nobody's bragging about any achievements or the kind of life that they've lived or the kind of what they've done. They, they're telling us the truth and nothing but the truth, right, in those groups. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Sean. Now you're lying to me, son. <laughs> lying, bragging, exaggerated, they all belong to the same lying family. They're all first cousins. They go together like bread, butter, and jam. What motivates those who tell conceited lies? What motivates the conceited liar? Pride and insecurity. Pride and insecurity. People who don't think they're good enough will do anything and say anything to make themselves appear to be good enough. They'll puff up their resumes. They'll make outlandish promises, utter outrageous claims. Damon, he came in. I'm going to go ahead and say, Damon sent me a link to, uh, this weekend about uh, a, a, leader, a leader in the church that I have respected for years and come to find out that his entire resume is a lie. A lie. Um, it come up to me after service, I'll let you know, not because I want to out him or anything, but just because I don't know why people can't just tell the truth. He's a, he's a gifted man who's achieved much. He doesn't have to lie about his resume, but yet he's chosen to, and he's carried that lie out now for years, but listen, it's not, it, it's all of us, man. We sit and we brag on ourselves when there's really nothing to brag about. Why? We're trying to get people to like us. Why? We, we may be, we, 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 we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're out of our insecurity. I tell this to people all the time. 
most people you come in contact with, you need to understand from the get-go, they are, they are motivated by their insecurities. Their responses to you are responses driven by their insecurities. What they're saying to you is driven by the insecurity in their heart. Pride is, is the root cause of much of our sin, if not all of it. And certainly lying is the same way. People who don't think they're good enough will do and say anything to make themselves appear to be better than they are. They'll puff up resumes, they'll make outlandish promises, they'll utter outrageous claims. Proverbs 29, 23 in the Message Bible says this, Pride lands you flat on your face, but humility, humility prepares you for honors. People who tell conceited lies always run the risk of being exposed as a fraud. What, and that's what drives me crazy about this gentleman. When it comes to light, when the general populace knows how f- defective his resume is and how he has stood his entire, his entire life and career on a, on a foundation of lies, when that comes out, all of the good work that he's done, and I mean he's done a lot of good work, it's all going to be swept away. It's all going to be swept away and mean nothing. People who tell conceited lies can never live up to the expectations created by their lies. And I think this is one reason why so many people make promises to us that they can't fulfill. They want to. They have every intention of it. But they're simply not able to fulfill that promise because they're not who they claim to be. And they don't have what they claim to have. And they can't do what they claim they can do. Does that make sense? They're, out of that insecurity, they're making promises they have no way of fulfilling. I don't think they mean to lie. I just think they find themselves lying because of their insecurity. It's better to accept yourself. Listen to me. Please listen to me here. I mean, it would be so much better if all of us who are the sons and daughters of God would get hold of this. It's better to accept yourself as flawed and incomplete and powerless rather than present yourself as something that you're not. I've been accused sometimes of being too transparent with some of the struggles that I've had, some of the issues that I've faced, but the reality is I want you to know I'm as flawed as you are. I am prone to failure just like you are. I don't want to stand up here and pretend to be something I'm not. I want you to know who I am. I want, to, I want you to identify with my struggles just like I want to identify with your struggles. Does that make sense? So then when I screw up, you're not going to be surprised. And maybe you'll be able to pray for me instead of condemn me for it. Okay? So it's better. It's better to go ahead and get it out there. I am defective. I am flawed. I am powerless. I can't do half of what I promise I'm going to do. Fourth kind of lie is a calculated lie. As a matter of fact, unless Christ does it through me, I can't do anything. Let's just get that out of the way. Unless Christ does it through me, I can't do anything. Neither can you. The fourth kind of lie is a calculated lie. These are wicked. These are wicked. People tell calculated lies so they can manipulate other people to get what they want. Now, none of us have ever been guilty of it, but I just want to point it out. You need to know it in case somebody tries to employ this kind of lying against you. Calculated lies. Manipulation. Ever been manipulated before? Have you ever manipulated before? Thank you for your honesty. It's a favored tactic of the con man. The calculated lie often comes in the form of flattery. Girl, you ain't, no, ain't nobody look like you. Pastor Mark, you're the best pastor ever. I just got to tell you. Calculated lie. Kisses up to another person with insincere compliments and dishonest promises. The calculated lie is an intentional effort to butter up another person to get something out of them. What motivates the calculated lie? Selfishness. Selfishness. At the root of every calculated lie is selfishness. I want what I want, any way I can get it. I'm willing to lie to you. I'm willing to manipulate you. I am willing to try to pin you in the corner. 
I'm willing to tell you anything you want to hear as long as you give me what I want. Even if I have to lie, I will do what I want, what I, I will do whatever I have to do to get it. Even if I have to ruin this friendship, it doesn't matter to me if I violate my trust. I'm going to lie to get what I want. I'll lie, I'll manipulate any way I can to get what I want. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. I believe that uh, the calculated lie may be the most wicked kind of lie because it's intentional. It's intentional. The fifth kind of lie is the convenient lie. People tell lies of convenience when telling the truth might require too much effort. Like when a friend calls to ask for help, but you pretend to be too busy to help them. Or when kids ask parents a tough question, and the parents blow them off with some kind of bogus answer. Or a policeman asks a person if they saw an accident, but they lie because they don't want to get involved in it. Or a person overhears some gossip and knows it's not true, but just keeps their mouth shut rather than clear it up. Those are all examples of convenient lies. Lies that people tell because the truth might take too much effort, it might take too much energy, or it might cost too much for them to tell the truth. You see, I think convenient lies are motivated by laziness, moral and spiritual laziness. Moral and spiritual laziness. Telling the truth. Let me, listen, guys. Telling the truth sometimes takes careful thought. Telling the truth sometimes takes a real effort. Telling the truth sometimes requires that we check out the facts and think through the answer before we even ask the question. And sometimes, to be perfectly honest, we're just not willing to give truth the energy and the effort it needs or deserves. Some people call convenient lies little white lies. Little white lies. But whether it's a whether it's a big black lie or a little white lie, it's still a what? A lie. Because God's telling us as his sons and daughters to tell the truth. To tell the truth. Psalm 34, 12 says, do any, do any of you want to live a life that is long and good? Then watch your tongue. Watch your tongue and keep your lips from telling lies. The truth matters to God and it should matter to God's children. The truth matters the truth matters to your health, to your sense of well-being, to, uh, uh, to, to your relationships. The truth matters to your families. The truth matters in your business. The truth matters in your classrooms. The truth matters in all of your relationships. God says if you want your life to be all that he wants it to be, then tell the truth. Tell the truth. And let me now share with you three ways. Three ways, I, 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 and I'm trying to bring it to an end. It's a, it's a real practical message, but I, I want to share with you three things we can do in order to be the truth-telling people that God has redeemed us to be, to make sure that our lives are what, they, what, what He wants them to be, make sure that our families are healthy, that our relationships remain healthy, that we maintain a, an, uh, an attitude of trust in all of our relationships. How can we be truth-tellers? Truth tellers. Here you go. Number one, tell the whole truth. Tell the whole truth. Proverbs 12, 17 says, A truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. This verse implies that a truthful witness is one who tells the complete truth, not just part of it. Let me put it another way. The false witness is one who tells part of the truth and not all of it. Has that ever happened to you? They tell you the truth. There's enough truth in it that you believe them only to find out it wasn't the whole truth. And so what happens after that? You don't trust anything they ever say to you again. What happens when we fail to tell the whole truth? Here's what happens. We set people up for resentment and we set them up with mistrust. If we don't tell the whole truth, our relationships remain superficial. They remain artificial. But when we tell the whole truth, the stage is set for real honesty and transparency and openness and intimacy. And isn't that what we want in our relationships? You see, telling the whole truth allows you to clear the air and keep the air clear. 
I hate those kinds of conversations. Can I tell you the worst conversation or the worst... I used to say this all the time. I haven't said it in a while. Let me count. The worst seven, the worst seven words. I hate to hear these seven words because I know I'm about to get the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Mark, I need to talk to you from my wife. When my wife says, Mark, I need to talk to you, I realize I'm about to be told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help her God. Those are hard conversations, but you know what happens when she gets done? The air's cleared. It's a new start. So I've learned to appreciate it. They may be hard words to hear, because I know what's coming. It's like, it's like when your dad says, this hurts me more than it hurts you. So when the whole truth comes out, that suddenly the air becomes clear and the relationship can start anew and everything becomes fresh again. When you tell the whole truth, there's no more just sweeping stuff under the carpet. We're really good about that in the South anyway, aren't we? We're really good about living in denial, pretending that things aren't that bad, pretending there's no pink elephant in the room when you know there is. We're really bad about that in the South, and I would encourage you to kind of break out of that. I understand why we do it. We're just trying to avoid the conflict, but sometimes the only way to get clear air is to have a conflict and clean the air out. Does that make sense? Telling the whole truth allows you to stop ducking and stop dodging the real issues and the problems in your relationships and in your life. Telling the whole truth helps you get the whole temple of God. Where's the temple of God again? Here. When you tell the whole truth, then you can clean out this temple and make it suitable for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Telling the whole truth can bring healing into our relationships. Telling the whole truth can keep our relationships healthy and strong because they're there's honesty, and there's transparency, and there's authenticity, and there's room for intimacy again. When we tell the whole truth, we're not hanging on to a secret or to a lie. Proverbs 24, 26 says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. I like that. Did I put that up there? An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Some of us need to go home and do some kissing, if you will. <laughs> Brian said, gladly, but she's sick. Wait until she's not, okay. Tell the truth consistently. Tell the whole truth, but tell it consistently. It's not enough to tell the whole truth 90% of the time. If someone is truthful 90% of the time, that means we still don't know whether we can trust what they're saying or not. Proverbs 11.3 says, Good people are guided by their honesty. Good people are guided by their honesty. They're, they know what to do because they're honest people. Treacherous people are destroyed by their dishonesty. We have a lot of issues with the inconsistent, how inconsistent we are in telling the truth. Tell the whole truth consistently. We need to tell the whole truth 100% of the time. Honesty and integrity re require a 24-7 commitment. We can't turn it off and on like a light switch. Have you ever noticed that? If you tell one lie, it's like a snowball starts. You can't stop lying. You got to tell another lie to cover up the first lie. Then you got to cover you got to come up with a third lie to cover the second. It's crazy. It's crazy. Just be consistent in telling and it's amazing what happens in relationships when you're consistent in telling the truth. It keeps the air clear. You're not ducking and dodging anymore at all. Because there's nothing to duck or dodge about. You're talking about the issues and talking about the problems and you're working off the same page and trying to move together in the same direction. It's amazing what happens when you stop lying. Listen, all your relationships, every one of them, especially your family relationships, are built on trust. Without trust, you don't have a relationship. You may be living together, but you ain't got no relationship if you can't trust one another. Telling the truth consistently builds trust. Because I can take you at your word. 
I'm not wondering, there's not this nagging doubt in the back of my mind that you're telling me all the truth. If you're telling me the truth consistently, I'll take you at your word. But deception and dishonesty, what happens? Trust goes out the door. At just the hint of deception, at just the hint of dishonesty, trust is broken. And boy, I don't know about you, but once trust is broken, it's hard to get it back. Hard to get it back. Trust, to rebuild trust takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Frankly, once trust is broken, you can repair it, but it's never quite the same again. It's like breaking a vase. You can repair the vase, but you still see the cracks. And it's that way when dishonesty and deception enter into a relationship. It's like a friendship or a marriage. It's like you can repair it, but it's never as good as it was when it was new before the the distrust and dishonesty. Does that make sense? That's why we're supposed to tell the truth consistently. Consistently. Ephesians 4.15 says this. Let our lives lovingly express truth in all things. Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. That means live consistently. Live truth consistently. Tell the truth consistently. Let truth and honesty become your lifestyle. Lord knows the sons and daughters of God ought to be known for their honesty, if nothing else, and their love, I suppose. Which brings me to the third thing. Tell the truth in love. If we're going to be truth tellers like God wants us to be, we're going to tell the whole truth. We're going to tell the truth consistently, and we're going to tell the truth in love. Telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth doesn't mean we have to be brutal. And I have seen people destroyed by the way truth was spoken into their life. But truth isn't a club that we use to beat someone over the head. Truth isn't a club that we use to beat someone over the head. Truth has to be tempered with love. I want to again point back to Ephesians 4.15 that says, let our lives lovingly express truth. Let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Ephesians 4.29 says, "When when you talk, don't say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help them become, help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. Truth isn't a weapon that we use to beat someone down. Truth ought to be a tool that we use to build them up. You get that? Truth spoken without love can be cruel and brutal, but truth spoken in love brings healing and strength. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I don't know about you, but when I speak truth into people's lives, I want it to build them up, not tear them down. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient. Let's talk about this for just a moment. This, This is love. This is how love is supposed to look. This is how love is supposed to act. It's not a feeling. It's a commitment to doing what the other person needs you to do for them, whether they deserve it or not. Love is patient. That means that love holds its tongue until the time is right to speak the truth. That's a a lesson that's hard to learn because sometimes we want to jump into the fray without really knowing the whole situation to tell them our opinion about things and how they ought to respond. Instead of biding our time and getting all the facts before we jump into the mess, love is patient. It says, wait a minute. Let me make sure I know everything before I attempt to insert myself into this conversation, into this relationship. Does that make sense? Love is patient. Love is kind. That means love won't speak truth unless it's considerate and compassionate. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. That means love speaks out of its humility, not its pride. Love doesn't speak out of a sense of deflated self-worth. Because that's, that's what envy is, by the way. That's all envy is. When you find yourself envious of somebody else, you're really saying more about yourself than you are that person. You're really talking about how deflated your own sense of worth is in, in light of theirs. Or inflated, love doesn't speak out of a sense of inflated self-worth. That means it's not boasting. 
looking down on somebody. Lord, it drives me crazy when we as Christians come across as self-righteous. We've got nothing to be self-righteous about. Without Christ, we're lost too. Without Christ, we're headed for hell too. we got nothing in our hands. Who are we to look down our nose at anybody? Love does not speak out of a sense of deflated self-worth or inflated self-worth, but out of humility, it's a, which is a correct sense of who we are, correct sense of our self-worth. Let me, just get you, let me just point out to you two questions you can ask yourself before you say anything at all, no matter how truthful it might be to another person. Before speaking, before confronting, before stepping into a situation to speak truth into somebody's life, ask yourself these two questions. Am I saying this for, the, for my benefit or for their benefit? Am I saying this to make myself feel better or to help them? I imagine if we were to answer these two questions truthfully and honestly, we might find ourselves hanging back just a little bit before jumping in to straighten them out. Does that make sense? Tell the, tell the truth in love. Tell the truth in love. Look, let's bring it to a close. Micah, if you would, would you come up? This is one of those days. I can tell we're tired from football games and too much turkey and Black Friday shopping. That's yeah, okay, I understand that. I'm a little emotionally drained too because of the week and what we've been through as a family. But this is really is an important message. This message, if applied to your life, if you will take it and see it and use it and walk in it, you will find your relationships being radically transformed before your eyes. Most of our lives have been devastated because we openly, blatantly did what that old man is good at doing, lying. The old man is really good at lying, isn't he? Come on. Some of you guys have been saved so long, you've kind of forgotten what it was like before you knew Christ. But if you were to honestly assess your relationships and what you've been through, probably going back, you would recognize that the reason there's been so much devastation and destruction in your life is because you couldn't stop yourself from lying and you believed the lies that other people were telling you. And so all the relationships you had in the past were built on a faulty foundation, destined to fail. Because lies and deception and manipulation has a way of being exposed, doesn't it? And what God is saying to you today, as you begin, or as you continue this new life that you've been given in Christ Jesus, is don't play around. Don't play around. with the thoughts and the behaviors and the habits of the old man. Don't play around with those anymore. Put them off. Put them off. Take them off like, a, like clothing made of filthy, nasty rags. Take it off. Kill those old patterns. Kill those old attitudes. Let those things die. They were dead and buried with Christ for crying out loud. Don't go digging them up again. And put on this new nature that's created to be like Christ Jesus. A nature that's living in truth, speaking truth. No dishonesty, no deception, no manipulation. Truthful in every sense of the word. Telling the whole truth. Telling the whole truth consistently. Telling the whole truth consistently in love. Let that be the foundation upon which you build your life and your relationships. I'm telling you, it will radically transform you, your life, your future, your destiny. It will completely transform everything about you. Some in this room probably need to go ahead and begin to clear the air in some of your relationships. Maybe 
people in this room or maybe people back in your homes and maybe on the job. But some of you, I'm telling you, I, I really believe that this is a, a pattern of misbehavior that causes the body of, of Christ to suffer. It destroys our moral authority to speak life and love into people's hearts. They see us as, what, hypocrites. They see us as liars. Because we say one thing, but we do another. We claim to believe, but we don't live it out. I'm telling you, in this day and age, the day and age of fake news, where lies seem to come so easily, where we no longer trust anyone or anybody, we don't trust institutions anymore, the one group of people the world ought to be able to take at face value, people like you and me, the sons and daughters of God. Because we ought to stand out like sore thumbs in this depraved and wicked generation. Because we tell the truth. We tell the whole truth. We tell the whole truth consistently. We tell the whole truth consistently in love. I mean, it's really time for some of us to just clear the air, man. To sit down and make amends where we need to make amends. To confess to those we have lied to. And to God, first of all. It's just time for us to get honest with ourselves, with our God, and with one another. It's just time. It's time that our lights shine bright in this dark and lonely world. This is a good place to start. Being the kind of truth tellers that God is calling us to be in Christ Jesus. It's who God is. It's who Jesus is. He's a truth teller. God is not a man that he should lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so should we be. Those who claim to be in him should Live as Jesus did.